0: Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I love doing what I do. If you don't love doing what you do, that's a problem. (laughs) I love doing what I do. And it's because, you know, and and mind you, it wasn't always like that. I'll be lying to you. There were times where I just felt like it's just too much, Lord. Lord. But God told me, just put my face there and turn it into a dialogue. (laughs) Amen. All right, Lord. And when I started to do it that way, I realized, you know, if you're pleasing God, that's that's what counts. You know, and he'll do the rest. Just do his will, he'll do the rest. You know, when you're doing his will... You'll end up coming in here, dressed up like somebody back in the Hebrew days. Uh, you know, when, <laughs> did, did, I, did, I, did, I, did I? What would I do? What, what, what I, did I do? I say, son, no, when, when you when when you love the Lord, you don't care. You come in with Jesus slippers. Air Jesus. <laughs> Air Jesus like this. Philip did his thing. Thank you for that. Yeah, the children appreciate it. She's right. But you know what? I'm also a child at heart. So when he came into my office, I had a good old time with him. We just did the whole narrative. I just said, oh, perfect. I get to role play with him. And it was so wonderful because... He knew I was role-playing, so he didn't look at me strange, nor did I look at him strange. So we didn't judge each other. But it was a time that let me know what's in your heart for the next generation. You've Got a lot more to give. A lot more to give, and I'm, I'm grateful that you are doing it here at the flow. Because you are flow. Praise the Lord. Y'all ready for this? Obviously, um, I didn't do this with the last class, which I should have, right? I, I, I was supposed to really go over all eight weeks, right? Just kind of like give a little breakdown of what we're going to be going through. Um, but f- for the next eight weeks, these are the um, actual classes that we're going to touch on, the comparisons and the critical exegesis. Um, I believe that Exodus and Luke have a lot in common. You'll find that out soon. At first glance, it doesn't look like it. Like when you really look at Luke and Exodus, you go, yeah, what is he going to do? How are you going to do this? How are you going to do this? Well, week one, we're going to have the introduction to Exodus and Luke, which is going to be today. Week two, we're going to talk about the birth and early life of Moses and Jesus. You're going to find a lot of similarity. Praise the Lord. She's inspecting the temple. Amen. <laughs> I got scared there for a minute. That was the look that I used to get when I was a kid. <laughs> she, she creeped around my. I, you ain't seen my stop. I went. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, it goes to show you some things are still like ingrained in you. What is she looking for? All right, amen. No, amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> that was funny. Um, week three: uh, the the call of Moses and the similarity between that and the baptism of Jesus. It's everybody say it's all about water. It really is. You're gonna find out how deep the, the water goes and. Why it's all about water. Every message has to include water. The Exodus, uh, week four, the Exodus and the journey to the promised land. You're going to love this one. Um, And and I I show, by the way, I show the key chapters on there. So everyone can actually start reading beforehand. Week five, the Ten Commandments and Jesus' teachings. Um, There's a lot of comparisons, but... Jesus broke some barriers on purpose, and it wasn't like he wanted to, uh, he didn't want to abolish the law, but he starts to fulfill the law, and as he does it, it's almost like he makes it seem as if he's an opposition of, but he really isn't, it's because he, he's the fulfillment of, so we'll get into that when the time does come. Uh, week five, the Ten Commandments and Jesus' teachings, I said that. Uh, Week six, the tabernacle and the kingdom of God. We're going to probably spend two weeks on that one. Uh, That's going to have a whole lot of meat. I'm going to be talking about the tabernacle, the reason why it was broken down the way it was, the structures of each tribe. Every tribe had a task. And within one particular tribe, that tribe did not receive an inheritance But they were supposed to make sure that the moral compass of the tabernacle or all those around the tabernacle was in order. And that was the Levitical order, Levites. The Levites were broken up into three categories. We'll talk about that as well. Those three categories all have to do with the movement. Oh, check this out. All have to do with the movement of the tabernacle. The tabernacle had to be a living thing. Circulation, breathing. You need to know the tabernacle to know who you are in Christ. All of it, the movement from place to place, has everything to do with how we live or how we should live. Week seven. Passover and the Last Supper. That's going to be nice. You'll find out why. Who who qualified being, no, that's not a good one. Who is qualified to stay in a safe place? I don't want to give it away. It don't say nothing. I want this to be a surprise for everyone you'll find that the Passover is a storyline for the salvation of humanity. And you'll see exactly what's involved in that when the time does come. And week number eight, atonement and resurrection. Without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. It wasn't the death. It was the resurrection that separated us. Anyone can die, but not anyone can resurrect themselves. So the death was the sacrifice, but the resurrection was the principle and the cornerstone of the Christian walk. Our Christian faith is predicated on a man who was God, who died on purpose, meaning he took his own life, meaning that was kind of like a holy suicide because no one could take his life. No one could take his life. He then conquered death. While he was dead, he did a lot of things, took the keys, and then resurrected. How big is that? It's so big that we're still talking about it today, 2,000 years later. And it was handed to us by a handful of people. But that handful of people was enough seeds to be able to have a whole entire world. Right now, Christianity is the number one, as far as population is concerned, religion in the world, followed by Islam, and believe it or not, it's not Judaism. Judaism is all the way, almost at the bottom. Why? Because of the amount of people that are Jews. Christianity has dominated throughout the years, and it has a lot to do with what we're going to talk about these next couple of weeks. Conclusion, summarizing the main themes and lessons from Exodus and Luke, discussing their relevance for modern readers and the Christian faith. All right, let's get right to it. Today I'm going to talk about, I'm going to get right into Luke 1 and Exodus 1 and 2. So the last class I introduced Exodus first, today I want to to do Luke first. I want to talk about Luke. Let's go to Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Luke 1, 1 to 4. A little description of Luke. Luke was not one of the 12 apostles. That's what he wasn't. So for those of you who think, oh, was Luke 1? No, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of those four gospels, only two of them were uh, the 12 apostles. That's Matthew and John. Luke and Mark were not part of the 12. However, Luke was a part of the 70. And Mark was too young to be a part of anything. Mark was the kid that ran away, you know, he was kind of watching stuff. And he was always in the mix. You ever, knew, you ever, you ever saw like this one kid that's always like, you, you, at least when I was younger, they always, told, they always told me not to be in the conversations of the adults. And, you know, the adults would be in the living room. And, you know, sometimes I would sneak in and sit inside. As long as you don't make a comment, you're good. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Because if you make a comment, you catch one. So Mark was the one who sat on the side and didn't make a comment, just stuck around. So when Jesus was being arrested, Mark is the only one that has this narrative of him He didn't say it was him, but who else could it be if he's the one describing it, right? He said there was a young boy who watched the whole thing take place. And when they tried to grab him to arrest him, they ripped his clothes off and he ran away naked. That was Mark's little insert. He wanted to insert himself there. You know, I want to make sure that I get mentioned in the book that I'm writing. I'm here. Mark was young. Mark, later on, we find out, becomes uh, one of um, the companions of Paul. He got to walk with Paul for a little bit until it got hard. There are people that will walk with you for a little bit until it gets hard. Mark saw it got really hard. He saw the persecution that Paul and Barnabas were enduring, and he said, you guys got this. I will cheerlead for you from afar. Good job, Paul. Good job, Barnabas. Until notoriety hits, and Paul and Barnabas became popular, and Mark came back and said, "Hey guys, you know I'm with you guys, right? You remember you? I started with you guys." Paul said, "You can go fly a kite," and Marks and, and uh, Barnabas said, "No, let him join us. Why not? Because Barnabas and Mark were relatives." There's a lot of people in the word. I'm not gonna do it today, but there's a lot. Of, there are a lot of people in the word. That are relatives that you just don't know they are. And later on, we'll talk about it, especially in the New Testament, there are people that are cousins, there are people that are brothers. You, you don't even know they're brothers because it doesn't, it doesn't mention it. You just got to do you got to do the, the critical thinking, and find out. Wait a second, isn't that his father? So would that be his father too? Of course, they're brothers. So we'll be discussing that as we go into the book of Luke. Overview of the historical and cultural context. Let's read this. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. This is Luke now. This is him. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated, what did he do? Carefully. Not just investigated, he carefully investigated. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you. Most honorable Theophilus. Let's stop there. Luke was a doctor. Not only was he a doctor, he was half Jewish and half Greek. Theophilus, which means what, folks? Studying of God. The study of God. Philo, philosophy. Study of. Theo, God. So this guy's name had everything to do with what what, what he was going to actually teach. Study of God. Theophilus was a friend of Luke who was Greek. So Luke had to make sure that the writings that were going to be given were going to be directed to someone whose mind is Greek, coming from the Greek world. It could not be anyone who was just Jewish. So Luke focuses on one aspect that the other ones do not focus on. So let's do this real fast so you guys get a little head start. Matthew. Matthew always taught about the Jewish experience. The book of Matthew is all about the messianic promise. So Matthew, his focus was always from Abraham on. Jewish experience. Mark. Mark wrote to the Romans. And it was through the influence of Peter. Peter, what Mark was Peter's spiritual son. So, when Mark wrote, he wrote from that perspective. Peter understood how the Romans are. So, the focal point with Mark in the book of Mark was who's more dominant. That's why in the book of Mark you find more accounts of what, guys? What would be the most account in Mark? If it's about dominance, remember Romans, conquer. Say it, say loud. Taking over, yeah, but what, 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 was, what was the actual event that demonstrated taking over? Deliverance, folks. Deliverance is dominance of one spirit to another, right? Deliverance is the spirit of God dominating another spirit. Saying, you got to get out. Romans love that. They love anything that has to do with conquering, dominating, overcoming. Everybody with me? So Mark wrote to the Romans. Matthew to the Jews, Mark to the Romans. Luke wrote to the Gentiles. However, Luke's approach of the introduction of Jesus had everything to do with Jesus being Son of man, not the son of God. Microphone. We're gonna need microphones on this one. Blue. <laughs> green. All right, blue, blue, and then wanna keep a green one over here somewhere, that way we can Yeah. Praise God. Go ahead.
1: Okay, so the reason why we know Luke particularly wrote to the Gentiles is because we would assume that if he's writing to Theophilus, who was obviously Greek, this letter was not specific to him. It was with the understanding that he would bring it to his non-Jewish people. Very good. People. Yes. And in the language that was chosen or rather introducing Jesus as son of man was to uh, cater to their intellect.
0: Correct. Amen. She got it right to the T. So Luke understands that his audience are very intellectual, very logical, that their focus is going to be more than just the miracles. They need to understand a sequence. So Luke starts to present Jesus as a son of man, not just the son of God. His desire is to show the emotional part of Jesus to the point where he caters to the marginalized population. Microphone. He understood that his audience, well, I, intellect, okay, that's what you are talking about, okay. No, it's fine, perfect. Intellectual. Yeah, let's keep microphones all around the place. That way, if anybody wants to jump in there. Listen, guys, I want you to know that each one of these. Four Gospels are four different aspects of who Jesus is. John doesn't go like Luke. I I love Luke, I promise you. But I really love John. Because John gets to introduce Jesus as God. Not just the Son of God, but as God himself. So now you got it. Matthew, Jewish. Mark. Mark. Roman, Luke Gentiles or Greeks you can put Greeks in there too and John, the whole entire universe the whole universe everyone John wanted to make sure that everyone who read the book of John would know that Jesus is what what Thomas said, what did Thomas say? My Lord and my God from a doubter, that, that kind of sums up the whole thing. All right, so now that we look at Luke, Luke being a physician, I want you to take a look at the, the overview of the historical culture or context of Luke. We understand that Luke is the author of the book of Luke, but he's also the author of the book of Acts. So the book of Acts and the book of Luke are just one big book. Because it goes right from Luke into the book of Acts. We also know that Luke was a physician who was a companion with Paul. Very good. Paul and Luke rolled with each other. However, Luke was not a spiritual son to Paul. Luke was just a co-worker, right? Know who you labor with. He was a co-laborer. And What I love about Luke is that Luke did not hold back punches. I love this. Remember, he wrote the book of Acts. So every time, (laughs) every time Paul made a mistake, Luke highlighted it. It wasn't that he disrespected him. It's that he wanted to make sure the readers understood Paul's what? Humanity. Humanity. Paul's humanity, because if you can show the human in a servant of God, then you can always connect yourself with that person and allow yourself to be perfected without being perfect. Amen? So all of the, all of the book of Acts has the fullness of what Luke would intend Christianity. You know that Paul disobeyed the Holy Spirit about three times. Oh, you didn't know that? Oh, I'll show you in the Word. The Holy Spirit told Paul, do not go to Jerusalem. And then a prophet came and said, do not go to, prophet Agabus told him, do not go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit just told me. And then these these prophets got together and told him the same thing. Do not go to Jerusalem. And what did he do? He went to Jerusalem. And what happened to him when he got there? Y'all don't know what happened to him? He got beat down more than once. He got beat down by his Jewish cohorts. Then he got beat down by the Roman cohorts. To the Jewish, he had to tell them and remind them, listen, I'm a Jew just like you to the Romans he said listen i'm a roman citizen what you should have done is listen to the holy spirit in the first place but you know god god will always use your bad move for a good thing later on go ahead
1: is that why a lot of people mistake as christians we need to be we have to suffer cuz what is paul saying and it's like no you don't have to suffer you need to be obedient and you, that wouldn't have happened to you
0: that is accurate that is accurate. Now, let, let me expound on that so nobody nobody walks away. Um, so Jesus did say, carry your cross and follow me. That's phase one of a statement. So most people stay with phase one. Carry a, we got to carry our cross. Why? Because you're going through something because of your disobedience. So you figure, you know, that's just everybody. We're all here. You know, it always reminds me of that story of of when the cops were running after these kids and, and one of them jumped into the, the, the garbage bag, the garbage, um uh, whatever, dumpster, and everybody else got caught, right? They didn't get caught. One of them got caught. And that one that got caught said, all right, everybody, come out. We all got caught. <laughs> you got caught, but you want to make sure everybody else gets caught because you got caught. That's humanity in some cases. We we say that everyone deserves to be this way because I'm going through it. Or we don't want to ever accept that somebody may be doing something different than what we're doing. You know, no, that's not true because I pray, I fast, I do everything. Yeah, but there's something in your heart that's even causing you to say you're doing all those things. All right. As we continue looking at the overview, one of the things I want to make sure we focus on is that the traditions between Luke and what's going to be in in the book of Exodus are different. That means that their form of speaking is different. That means that what's understood in one may not be understood in the other, but there is a common denominator. What's going to be the common denominator between the book of Luke And I I read it earlier, so let's see if you guys caught it. The book of Luke and the book of Exodus. What's the common denominator? Common denominator. I'm not going to say no. He said deliverance. I'm not going to say no. You're right. But that's not what I'm looking for. Because there is deliverance in both. Say again? Waiting written to the Jews. It's a good word common denominator, but that's not the one I'm looking for. Say again. It's all about water. Good answer. You guys give me good answers. Not the answer, but that's a good answer. What is the one thing that stands out in Exodus that stands that's gonna stand out in Luke? All right, y'all give up? They said that, no, no, no. Here's, here's what it is, guys. I said it earlier. I even gave an example that we are exactly that. We are what? Ark of the Covenant. The anointing and the power of God in both Luke and Genesis That anointing is the same just because we're seeing different events doesn't mean that the anointing is different. The anointing is the same. From the Immaculate Conception all the way going back to when Moses was placed in a basket. Still miracles, still the anointing, just geared in different areas. Do you know that the anointing to heal, this is going to be good. You're going to love this. The anointing to heal the sick. If that is what you do as a ministry, you can lay your hands on somebody and they get restored. That's the power. He heard you. And so the things that we think need to be repaired, God, the anointing for that is there. Now, the same anointing that's for that is the same anointing for the word. So what you're receiving in the word is the same anointing that could raise somebody from the dead. Romans Romans 8.11. Romans 8.11. Let's just read it. I just want to read it. Romans 8.11. Yes. That, yes, let's read it. Amen. You got it. You got it. Romans 8, 11. Let's just go there. Because I need you to understand anointing is anointing. It's not just the anointing of healing, the anointing of it. It's the anointing and it gears towards something. It's power geared. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies. He's not talking about your spiritual life. He's talking about your mortal life, meaning your physical body, by this same Spirit living within you. In other words, the same anointing that was present when Jesus came out of his tomb is the same anointing that resides in you right now. Press the button. We need we need it so that people can hear it after. There oh. you go. Hello. There you
2: okay. go. Is that kind of like in John when um, they were baptizing people and. John, um, his disciples said that this man, uh, Jesus, that they met in Jordan, where they told, I guess John told him he was the Messiah. Mm -hmm. And they were kind of a little bit jealous that he was, that everybody was going to him for baptism and not necessarily to them. And he said to them that it is his goal for Jesus to be even higher than him.
0: John the Baptist? Yes. Yeah, John the Baptist said a lot of good things. He did say a lot of good things. However, John didn't quite believe a lot of the things that he said. Here's what's interesting. John, God bless him by the way, but John unfortunately allowed his circumstance to determine his belief. Matthew chapter 11. God... Was demonstrated to John the Baptist. Jesus as the Messiah. But John, unfortunately, John the Baptist, not John the disciple, not John the beloved, John the Baptist, not John Mark, John the Baptist. He ends up abandoning that which was the truth because of his circumstance. He found himself in prison. And something happens when you're in prison. When you're in prison, you start making up stories in your head. And prison is not just a place. Prison is a state of mind. So when you are in prison state of mind, you start coming up with different concepts and ideas and ideologies and paradigms that have nothing to do with the situation you're in Because you need to label it. This is the reason why. So what did John the Baptist do? After saying that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he's in prison for a little while and says, go investigate and see whether or not he is who he says he is. Matthew 11. Circumstance will cause you to shift your view of the one who saved you. All right, let's continue. I started with Luke, right? Yeah, I did. Switched it up. So let's go now with the Christian community. Luke's gospel was written for a primarily Gentile Christian audience, seeking to provide an orderly and well-researched account of Jesus' life. Jesus' teaching and Jesus' death. And of course, with the death comes the resurrection. The Greco-Roman world of the time of Luke allows us to know that the mentality was a Greek thought process but with a Roman conquest or the desire to conquer. Those two worlds, because you had the language, the Greek language, And you also had Latin, right? Which, by the way, I think I mentioned before, the Latin language is the pure language of the time. Only the intellects knew Latin. If you knew Latin, you were the one. 3% of the population knew how to read in Latin. But when that happens, there's a fracture that takes place. And that fracture happened. Out of Latin came, uh, came about five languages that we know today. Spanish, French, Portuguese, Romanian, and Italian. Those five languages back then were called Ebonics. Y'all not hearing me. What we, what we know today as Ebonics... Back then, that's what that was. If you spoke French instead of Latin, you were ghetto. Because those five languages were born of lack of understanding of the language. So people just made up words. It still happens today. I went to um, the place of my grandfather's birth. Uh, St. Kitts. And I found out I'm Cetitian too, man. Huh? Yeah, they told me I'm Cetitian. Grandfather, I'm Cetitian. So interesting enough, over there the English is chopped. But it's chopped for who? For those who don't know. For them, it's perfect language. You don't know. And so that's what happens. And when we study the Word of God, we need to make sure that we get to a place of understanding meaning for meaning versus word for word. Why do I like the New Living Translation? I like the New Living Translation because it's the only one that actually, when they did the research in translating it from the old Greek Septuagint and the old Latin Vulgate, It was meaning for meaning instead of word for word. And here's why. I've given this class before. I felt I have. I have, right? Have I given this class before? I did. Yeah, I feel like. Yeah, I I did this one. I did this one. So watch this. Watch this. I'm going to pick on you again because I picked on you before. So this is my homeboy. I'm going to write a book about my homeboy. All right? So in my book, I go. My homeboy came to hang out with me at my crib. Right? This, this, is, this is a language. At my crib. My homeboy is chilling out with me at my crib, and we're going to hang out later on. If there is no translation for that, then 100 years from now when they decide to read my book, And they decide to translate it. You know what they're going to say? They're going to say, I said this. A boy from home went. They were cold. because We want to chill out, right? They were cold and went to a baby's crib, a baby's bed. That's a crib, not not a house. And then hung themselves because they hung out. Do you see what I'm talking about? If I interpret it word for word based on the language of the time, I now lose the value of it. That's not what it was about. That's why when you read translations like, and God bless the King James, God bless the new King James, they actually taught me first. I'm, I'm an avid student of the King James Version. But I realize that I don't speak that way anymore. And so there, there was a need to change up how to understand this. So as you read the Word of God, when you hear something like, my daily bread, what is daily bread? Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily instructions. Or you could say, give us this day my daily food. The thing about it is if you don't know this, you will take certain things literal and you will mess it up. And now you're reading King James and everybody goes to hell. You know, Better have one eye, one arm in heaven than to... If you don't understand what's going on, you will miss out on the true meaning. All right, let's continue. Covenant and law. A place I want you to remember is Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where Moses received the Ten Commandments in the Mosaic law, forming a covenant between God and man, or God and the Israelites to be specific. This government establishes the Israelites as as God's chosen people. Yes, he chose them. Yes, he selected them. Don't be mad. It's okay. I don't mind being second fiddle when the word speaks about the second fiddle getting the right hand. I'll take second fiddle all day when I find out that the second born is always the one who catches the the full blessing. I'm okay. Social concerns. I love the fact that Luke emphasizes on the social concerns of the people. There There are areas where Jesus literally broke the rules so he can deal with those who are not supposed to be healed he dealt with those who were not part of the Jewish lineage Luke makes emphasis on that he doesn't want this to be a Jewish thing he wants this to be a human thing so he talks about all of these different people and it's interesting you get people that that were considered the outcast the downtrodden um who were the focal point for example the Samaritan uh, the, the one who was on the road and uh, what was it? what's the name of it the, uh, oh there's a term used for it the Samaritan who got beat down on the road there's a, there's a term used for it I just can't remember there's emphasis on the Samaritan because the Samaritan was the underdog of that, of that time they got nothing they were considered less than as a matter of fact, they were considered less than even the Romans and the Greeks because they were a mixture of Jews and everyone else. And that was a no-no. So Jews cannot get with, um, with Samaritans. What did Jesus do? He broke the rules. He got with the Samaritans on purpose. And then after he did that, he said what? What you going to do? I love it I love the fact that he would go to he would go on a Sabbath on purpose I love when Luke do, did this in Luke you'll find him doing this a lot he'll show when, when Jesus goes into a a, a, a a temple and he'll go and he'll wait till everybody's watching to go okay let me let me heal your hand this guy had his hand like this and the word says that in the book of Luke it says, Jesus waited to look around and to see if everybody was watching and then said, Open your hand. The hand opened up. And of course, the rule was no healing on the Sabbath. Jesus said, so hold on a second. So why was the Sabbath even established? Was it established so that we can worship the Sabbath, or was the Sabbath for us to worship? In other words, what's the purpose for the Sabbath? Are we to rest on the Sabbath or are we to rest on the Sabbath? Define rest. Somebody who's been in, in a crippled condition for years and now they can walk, guess what, they're resting. You're in a bad state of mind for so many years and now you're healed of that, you're resting. So Jesus had to make emphasis on that. You guys are wrong. You're you're talking about don't do this and don't do that. Especially do that because I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Literary literary style. The historical narrative, the book of Exodus, I love the fact that Exodus starts off with a whole conversation, right? Because let's go to Exodus Exodus chapter 1. Let's kind of. Dive in a little bit. Exodus chapter one. These are the names of the sons of Israel. That is Jacob, who moved to Egypt with their father, each with their with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Asher. Uh, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And all of Jacob's 70 descendants, all were there. So now we get a picture of everyone that left. The only one that's not being mentioned at the moment yet is Joseph. But then the next verse it says, in time Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that entire generation. Joseph was not really, it's almost like, he got removed from being a part of the 12. But it wasn't that he was no longer part of the 12. It's just that his involvement in Egypt became so strong that he was not going to invite the traditions of his father. It was now too far off. So what, did, what was done to replace Joseph? Anybody know?
2: Joseph's two sons and they were put into the instead The father, Israel. Israel. Israel sorry, yes.
0: Israel. He adopted
2: Joseph's two sons and they were put into the tribes
0: instead of Joseph himself. So what does adoption mean? Adoption means you are now without a doubt, without any type of confusion, you are now a child of that person whether there's blood or no blood. As a matter of fact, we're not going to even question that anymore because adoption means that you now have the privileges of the blood children. So Joseph, even though he was disqualified, he had everything he needed. The blessing went on to his sons. His sons Manasseh and Ephraim. These sons were the ones who end up taking on territory, which there's going to be one of these episodes we will be talking about, the territories obtained by the 12 tribes. And it's not just 12 tribes. There was always 13 tribes. It's just that Levi was never considered. Take it a step further. The tribes that were around the tabernacle, you find that Manasseh and Ephraim have a spot around the tabernacle, which is kind of confusing, right? You're adopted. Not Joseph. You're Joseph's sons, but Israel adopted you. That adoption allowed them a place at the table. Does that sound familiar, anybody? What does that sound like? That's us. Manasseh and Ephraim is a representation of the church. We are adopted in, and our adoption gives us full access to everything. Could somebody raise their hand and say, I am fully anointed? That was kind of weak. Let's try one more time. I am, I am fully anointed. Listen, when you, when you say that, you're saying that everything that pertained, oh, thank you. There we go. You're doing your job over there. I love it. So if you pay attention, the entrance of the tabernacle, this is good stuff right here. I was going to say this for later, but this is good. I want to talk about it now. Can we talk about it now? Yeah. Check this out. Judah, if you think of the tabernacle like this, this is the east, right? This is the west, south and north. The west is where the Holy of Holies is, but there's a wall there, so you can't go in from the west. You still got to come from the east. This tabernacle is surrounded by all the tribes. Just pay attention to what's going on back there. On the left, you find that there is an entry. Judah has to be at the entry of the tabernacle. Why must Judah be at the entry of the tabernacle? Because Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. And Jesus has to take his journey in from the tribe of Judah. Everybody with me so far? But Issachar and Zebulun are also on that side because they represent the children of who? Leah. So Leah is fully represented on the east. So that's Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. In the south, you have Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. And those three tribes are representation of you almost made it, but you didn't, right? But it's also a combination of the sons of Leah mixed up with her servants. Reuben, Simeon, and one Gad, which is one of her servants, Bilhah. Then on the west, now this is redemption, folks. The west is redemption. The west is where we get in, without having to go through. Y'all with me so far? you got to get this. If there's anything else I want you to get, I want you to get this. On the west, you have Benjamin, Manasseh, and Ephraim. And that west side is where there's a wall. You can't go into the Holy of Holies through that side. But when Jesus dies on the cross... He blows open the Holy of Holies for everyone. Paul was part of what tribe? Benjamin. Paul was a Benjamite. Makes sense because who did he minister to? The Gentiles. So he was a part of the tribe that was on the west side. Now if you pay attention... Everyone on the west side, all tribes on the west side, were of the lineage of Rachel. Leah was on one side, Rachel was on the other. Why? Because guess who Manasseh and Ephraim are? Rachel's grandsons. So Rachel is alive on the west side. Rachel represents the church. And in the north, you got Dan, Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. And unfortunately, Dan fell off the map in Revelation chapter 7. There is no Dan anymore because Dan was the introducer of the tribes to idolatry. Dan introduced the people of Israel to idols. So they were discounted and removed in Daniel, chapter, or rather Revelation, chapter seven. Amen. And up north, you have the uh, uh, one of them is Dan Ashen of Tali. They all represent who? A combination, because you had Bilhah and Zilpha. Bilhah and Zilpha were the servants of Rachel and Leah. So Israel had four wives because he also messed with their, uh, the, the concubines. So he had children from all four, and all four represent the four corners. So he had to have children from each. And we know that Rachel only gave him how many? Two. Two. Who also gave him two? No, Leah gave him much more than that. Leah gave him a total of seven to be real. Because we gotta count uh the, the, the daughter. Anybody remember the daughter's name? Huh? No one remembers the daughter's name. All right. That's your homework. know her name know her name because she's the, she's the one girl out of 12 boys you could be right right not Adina <laughs> amen amen I you, you concur Guys, it, Dinah. I know, but you said Dina, so I was trying to help you out. So I said Adina, you know, so to try to help you out a little bit, but amen. Listen, guys, the stories that come with all of this is incredible. What I can tell you now is that Exodus is going to be one of the most impacting books for you. Because it's going to show you our journey. Our Christian journey is found in Exodus. Don't celebrate your salvation until you understand your freedom. Don't celebrate. I had it in my head just because I knew it was coming. Don't celebrate your salvation until you understand your freedom. But salvation and freedom are two separate things. I can save you of things that you've done, you come out, and not be free of those things and still do them. There are those that will come to the front, raise their hands up to heaven, and repeat after me. And they'll say the sinner's prayer. They'll do it all, but they're not... They're saved at the moment. They got saved. All the chains were removed, but they still carry Egypt in them. So whenever they are in a bind, Egypt is still the front line. It is your default. So God wants us to get to a place of freedom for the Israelites. It took them 40 years. He doesn't want that to be the case for us. 40 years to be free, even though they were removed of their shackles. They crossed the Red Sea, but that wasn't enough. Salvation. You can be taken out of the water. But when you're taken out of the water because you're saved, you can go and run and jump right back in again. All right. The last thing I'm going to touch on, because I don't want to get into the birth of Moses. I'm going to talk about this one last part, because I think I should have mentioned it in the last one, and I did not. Let's go to chapter 1, verse 15 of Exodus. Chapter 1, 15 of Exodus. Now, know this. The introduction of Exodus shows a concern, and the concern that the Egyptians had were, These Hebrews are multiplying like rabbits. We need to do something fast because if we don't, they're going to overpopulate us and then they're going to take over. So look how far obedience goes. And Pharaoh the king of Egypt gave this order to the Hebrew midwives. A midwife, anybody know what a midwife is? Everybody knows what a midwife is. I don't have to explain that. Everybody knows? No, I mean, some people don't know. Sounds like half of a wife. Midwife. <laughs> and when, I, when I first heard I'm like, midwife, what's that? Midwife is someone that, you don't know what it means. Okay. A midwife is someone who helps deliver a child. So she is on call. So whenever somebody's about to give birth, she would come. It's usually a she. Yeah, I've never heard of a male midwife. But yeah, by the day, that's right in Spanish. Go and and make sure that everything goes well because there's a lot that could happen during that transaction. See, I told you it was going to be somebody who doesn't. Yeah? All right. The king of Egypt gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua. When you help the Hebrew woman... As they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. The king of Egypt called for the midwives. Why have you done? Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. So God was good to the midwives and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because, of the, midwives, because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. So this was a problem. But see, even in the midst of a situation where your life is in danger, do the right thing. They could have have done what he said. They chose not to because they feared God more than the consequence of a human. I'm not going to have that be greater than this. No, all right, absolutely, I don't mind. So the reason why the Hebrews ended up in Egypt was because during the famine, the family of Israel was brought into Goshen. No, no, no. I don't know, there's probably a movie that came out that, has that no? No, I'm saying. But I think there's a movie that actually speaks of it being that way. As a matter of fact, it might it might have been. It, I don't think it's the Prince of Egypt, but there's another one that does speak of it, seeming like they gave in. That's not the case. The Bible doesn't say that they turned themselves in. The Bible does say that they were there and they started multiplying, and they grew. In Numbers. It, all you got to do is read Exodus chapter 1, the very first verses, and it will show you exactly that. The fear that they had was that they were going to dominate the whole region. It was a fear because that fear still exists today. We still see that in every, every race. There's a fear of growth because that's it. There's going to be dominance. But what I say in looking at that, from that perspective, I say that whether it was that way or any other way, God wanted to incubate them in a place where they were going to be hated. On purpose. Because in order to be a savior, you have to have a bad situation. So he wanted to save them. The problem here was as they grew, they grew in knowledge of what? of Egypt, as what? As slaves. A slave mentality becomes a lifestyle. That's why they knew nothing else but what slaves would do in circumstances. That's why they were enamored with the the gold and the silver that was given to them when they were leaving. They fell in love with the financial part but they also did something else. They were in love with the concept of having a physical God. That's why you had them do what? What did they do? They built a golden calf and that golden calf was a product of gold and silver that they gave that they received while leaving egypt talk about captivity when you are enamored with your slave mentality you will go back to your slave mentality as default did that make sense you find yourself doing slave things again Somebody got in trouble. That's okay. Everybody take a look at this. Take a look. Take a look. So how how is this part of what you're talking about? It's real simple. When we go through situations sometimes, and it's our slave mentality that we want this when we're going through it, this got to be close because this is going to be the answer. So the Egyptians instilled in the slaves that what they had do you remember what the slaves what the slaves said when they obviously they weren't slaves anymore when they were in the desert do you remember what they told moses they said listen man we ate we had garlic we had food we had onions and we don't got nothing here let's go let's go back because going back i'm going to get my original fix Somebody gonna preach, somebody's being talked to right now. Understand that mentality is a part of life today. And so if we receive this truth by reading the book of Exodus, it's gonna be something when you start seeing how these individuals are thinking the way we think today. It's not far off. It's not, but. No, no, you, the microphone's right there.
2: Um. Hello? Oh,
0: oh Hello. okay, over here. For, my mother got preference.
2: So. I was first. <laughs> okay. It's like when, you, you know, could you say that when a pig, right, you take it out of the mud mm-hmm. and you could bathe it and nicely and it goes
0: Correct. It, that's a great comparison. I believe that. A, but, you know, I'm not, we're not calling anybody pig. But, but I, I, I know what you mean, Ma. It, I, I agree. I agree that there is a comparison there that's very clear. It's called the nature of a person. Or what they consider their nature. Because it may not be your nature to be that way. But what you consider your nature is a different story. All right, guys, let me wrap it up with this because I want to make sure that I get this last part in. The plagues that we're going to talk about in the book of Exodus are going to be equivalent to the things that we go through today. I'm going to show you the parallels. I'm also going to show you how even in the book of Luke, there's a breakdown between Luke. And the miracles in Luke, and the things that happened in Exodus. Almost in the the same order. I want you to know that the narrative of Luke starts off with a great miracle. Who Who did Luke interview? Anybody? Who did Luke interview? He interviewed Mary. That interview with Mary is what gave him a nice head start. He was able to understand what was going on from her perspective and then keeps that thread. Like He doesn't deviate from that thread all the way through. What was important to her? What was important? Do you know one of the greatest verses in there come from the book of Luke? When you think about the childhood of Jesus, his childhood. You're not going to find his childhood... Thoroughly in Matthew and Mark or in John. But you find something in Luke that kind of lets you know that he was very special. Anybody? What, what, What did we find in the book of Luke that actually separated Jesus from everyone else? Very, very good. Yes. When he was 12 years old, he introduces a word that had never been introduced before, and he never said it again after that. He said that one time when his mother went looking for him. He said, don't you know that I'm about my father's business, my father's transactions? Don't you know that I'm about my father's involvement and increase and overflow? Business. That word is clearly business. And business was related to anyone who's working a field, anyone who has a farm, anyone who has a a carpentry, whatever it was. That's business. He related it to business. Don't you know, mom, mother, somebody who I'm going to save in the future? This, I'm about my father's business. So we got a glimpse of Jesus in the book of Luke that we don't find anywhere else. All right. I'm going to open up the floor for questions. I didn't do that for the last group, but I'm going to do it for you guys. Microphone.
2: Okay, given that Luke took an, uh, an interrogation or an interviewing process. When he talks about, for Elizabeth and Zachariah, did he actually interview Elizabeth and Zachariah or was that just Mary's? Mary's. Because I was going to say, Elizabeth and Zachariah would have been as old as dirt
0: in order to be able to be interviewed. No, it was, it was all Mary. Mary gave him the insight that he needed on all of that. Okay. Remember, the interview with Mary was thorough. That's why you find... Intimate moments in Luke with the angelic host. Yeah. Yeah. And it leads on, so she tells them about John the Baptist, mm-hmm. Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth, the encounter with Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These are relatives, mm-hmm. all in Luke. Mm-hmm. Yes
1: really just an observation um, regarding the tabernacle.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The east was the entrance. Correct. Okay, and that was the side of Judah. Mm-hmm. The back, which is where the holy of holies was, was um, uh, that was Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh, right? And then you have Leah and mm-hmm. you have Rachel.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the observation that I had was the entrance had to be of had to be from the line of Judah right, which the qualification would have been Jesus because those that entered in through the front were already unqualified. Correct. The breaking of um, the veil. Up again. Good. <laughs> the breaking, or rather the tearing the tearing of the veil, right, that created the access... Right. Is, ...is what brought the unqualified to the qualified or to the desired. Because on the back end, you have Benjamin and the representation of Joseph also representing Rachel, which was the whole, Jacob's... All of them
0: representing Rachel.
1: Right, which was, which was uh, Jacob's desired. Right. As opposed to the undesired. Correct. So so what I'm saying, the observation is that the tearing of the veil really just merged the two, the unqualified to the
0: qualified, or from the being undesirable to, to desired. Correct, because you got to work this way. Right. Mm-hmm. This way ain't no work, you just have access. Right. So this whole concept of having Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun on the side is a representation. The one who's really the focal point is Judah. Mm-hmm. But these two are still his brothers. But that was through another batch of births. You know, because Leah gave birth again. Mm-hmm. She stopped after the four, Judah, Judah, um, um, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, mm-hmm. right? She stopped. And that's when Rachel kicked in. Mm-hmm. So it was back and forth. And their response to each other was based on who can give birth the most. Right. Until, unfortunately, Rachel met her demise when giving birth to Benonin. Or should I say Benjamin? Benoni means son of my sorrow. And then that's what she wanted to name him. She wanted to name him that. And Israel said, no, we're going we're to call him Benjamin. All right. That's good, by the way. This is very good. I'm going to use this again because I didn't speak of the Levitical order, the Kohathites, the Gershonites, and the Merorites. And this, this Levitical order is just as important as the tribes around this is all Levi, right in between. And when you look at this from above, guys, look at the numbers. Look at the numbers here. Look at the numbers. Y'all see the numbers? Who has the most, if we did the math right now? So, let's, let's do the math. I want to show y'all something that's really interesting, and then we're going to close out. 74,600 plus 54,400 54, and plus 57,400. What does that look like? Somebody do the math for me. What's the total? I got you? You doing it for me? I see him going like this. I thought he was doing it for me. How much? I'm going to show you something so interesting. You're going to be able to take this home with you? All right. So write that down. In the east... One hundred and eighty six thousand four hundred. Oh look at that. It says it right here. All right. This is crazy with this forms, guys. On one side is one hundred and fifty one thousand four hundred and fifty, the other side one hundred fifty seven thousand six hundred. And this one had the least of them, 108,100. Do you guys know what that forms? Do you know what it looked like from above if they had back in those days, um, what do you call those? Drones? Do you know what that would look like if they had drones back in the days? What it would look like moving from place to place? The cross it would look like the cross. Literally. The cross, the longest part of the cross, which is where the feet are, is where Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The top part was where uh, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh are. And the other two were slightly different. You would see the cross going from place to place. Thought I'd help you out a little bit. Nothing by chance, everything on purpose. Even the tabernacle is a demonstration of Jesus Christ on the cross. Any more questions? Oh, there we go. He found it. That's it right there. It would look like the cross. And it would be the cross moving across the desert every time they were going somewhere they would go it was the cross the foot of the cross leading. So Jesus was carrying that cross even then. yeah, what animals? Oh yes oh, yeah. that's a whole other ball game. that's a whole other ball game which represents the four Gospels. By the way, these all represent the four Gospels. It represents the four living beings. This is all over the place. That's why the synchronicity of the Bible is so important. Guys, I don't want to just teach you just because. I want you to understand that not one thing is off. It's all connected. The ox... The man, the lion, and the eagle. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four living beings. All part of God's master plan. And this is thousands of years apart. Any other questions? Yes.
2: a form of execution the cross Correct. Was in a, a, so why do we put so much emphasis on the cross
0: the cross is not the emphasis the crossing is the emphasis the actual material cross is not the emphasis the the mechanism for murder is not the, the, the emphasis the emphasis comes with the cause it could have been it could have been if it happened now it could have been an electric chair that could have been the sacrifice, right? But the parallel to what took place before would not have been there. There's a there's a there's power in things crossing. So what is this vertical horizontal importance? Because it is the the fullness of the the, the commandments of God. It is love God vertically, and love people horizontally. Did you catch that? Vertical and horizontal is the connection of the cross. Jesus died so that we can get along with each other and so we can get along with God. The rules of the Ten Commandments is all about God and us. The first four commandments is about God. The rest of the six is about humans. Thou shalt not steal, lie, kill. That's humanity. You can't kill God. You can't even lie to God. You can't even steal from God. But we can do that with each other. So, first four, then the next six. Anybody else? This is good. I don't know where you're finding this stuff, man. Praise the Lord. Excellent. Excellent. Any other questions before we close out? No questions? Okay. Question, go ahead. Say again.
2: Could you um, explain again regarding the tribes? When you said 13th, um, could you say something? Oh, so you want me to go little, through the whole thing no, with the No, 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 no. Elaborate on that. the 13th. That
0: you All right, so what happens is there's always going to be one more because Joseph was no, was no longer included. But if you include Levi, the tribe of Levi, you got 13 tribes. 13 is a number that gets demonized, but it's, it should not be demonized. Because it's a number that represents a shifting or a changing or an enhancing. The enhancement of government. Everywhere Jesus went, he went with 13, it was 13 of them. It was Jesus and 12. Jesus and 12 every single time. And that number 13 is a number where every time anyone saw Jesus coming into a a city or a town, there are 13 guys coming through. And those thirteen revolutionized that area, and you got people right now avoiding the thirteenth floor.
1: But in in here, there's obviously there's twelve. So Joseph was represented twice. Yes, he was. Because then that would be the twelfth if we're excluding Levi. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Eleven and twelve.
0: Yeah. Remember, it was still twelve. Areas that were allotted land, right.
1: because Levites up two of never those ever had;
0: they never got property.
1: Right, and what I guess what, but Joseph took up two of those through Ephraim you, and Manasseh. You Madison. could either
0: look at it that way or say that Joseph is no longer there; it's Manasseh and Ephraim. Okay. They should be treated as if they're one of the twelve.
1: No, definitely. I I get that. I'm just so saying. so.
0: Look what look what God did to complete it, number twelve. He because completed.
1: it had to be twelve. It had so to it be twelve. It had to be twelve. That was the point. The number twelve,
0: order, government. It had to be twelve. So the Levites could not obtain property. Joseph fell off because he became Egyptian. So those are the two to supplement supplement them to. Okay, he said that Matthias, the inclusion of Matthias. So I need some interpret interpret for him, because I need I need him to get this. He said that Matthias wouldn't that have anything to do with Matthias being selected so that they could be 12 okay. when Judas killed himself? Okay. The answer is yes, but, but that's see, pero. Yeah, yeah. Help me out. Matthias, unfortunately, was selected by human minds, not by the Spirit of God. When you're selected by lots, that's like a lottery. You're selected by lottery, that does, that, there's no way. When you're selected by the Spirit of God, God doesn't need a lottery. It's you. But it couldn't be anyone. Because at the end in Revelation chapter 21, you know who are the apostles of the Lamb? Including who? Judas. So nobody ever took Judas' place. Because he's in Revelation, Revelation 21, and it's very clear that he's one of the apostles of the Lamb, not Matthias. Matthias
1: may I add but even so God is intentional because Ephraim and Manasseh was still the bloodline of Joseph yeah whereas matthias had no attachment to anything to anything
0: other than the fact that he was there in the beginning
1: he was just there right right so so that's I to me that's the distinction it's not even a matter of lots it's not even a matter of spirit it, it's a matter of the bloodline connection there was nothing connected to matthias amen
0: that's very very valid point All right, guys, I think we might have summed it up. Know that every week is going to get more intense. We're going to be more specific. The stories are going to be more intense. And you're going to be able to learn a little bit more about Exodus. And it's interesting because um, as as we start looking at it, and Cynthia, I want you to know something. The book of Exodus has been so misinterpreted by a lot of people that even the movies that they had out there, They've changed stuff around for movie purposes. <laughs> sure. we
2: we have nothing left to give but our bodies and our land. I guess where I misinterpreted because it says why should we die before your very eyes buy us and our land in exchange for food we offer our land and ourselves as slaves for Pharaoh I thought that was them giving themselves up so
0: Joseph removed that so if you kept on going you find Joseph saying there's no need for that Joseph gave he was their, so their grace the land. He, he did it for Pharaoh. correct so he took on the brunt of everything for his family. He even got them the land that they required. He got it for them. Not because of anything they gave up. Remember, that's what they said. Not what he did. As, his, as the brother and the son of, made them anyway, 400 years later. Yeah, okay. But again, it wasn't even 400 years later. It was more like 200 years later. But they were enslaved for 400 years. Bottom line is, at that point, you got to realize, no one was thinking about that before. It was afterwards, when they started to grow in population, that slavery became a concept. Mm -hmm. Excellent. All right. We're really done now. Thank you, Jesus. How many are enjoying these, these classes? I pray that you are. Because the truth is, we're, churches are not doing this, and we're going to be doing this till the, for the next, till December. And when I say churches are not doing this, I'm not saying churches are not teaching. Let me, let me, Let me be clear. I think that there's a hype that goes beyond the word sometimes, and I want to make sure that we're prepared. At least we're prepared so that when we get to the stage where a lot of people are coming in, we have a solid group of individuals who are able to teach the people what's what right? This is a slow process for a greater process later on. I don't mind doing this till December. I don't mind doing this till December. I actually actually want to continue this on till December. Um, Very soon, they're going to give us the green light to uh, include a lot more people. But I do not want to deviate from this plan. I want to stay focused and I want it to still be like a setting, a college setting. I want this to be, that's why you have a syllabus. The syllabus allows you to go home and even go further, read ahead, and then come back with some stuff. Amen? Let's stand.